Today is October 30th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago Mekoches Chistakomaki. My married English name is Michelle Robinson and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being records, recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bogani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chinookee Bears Paw Nations, and the Dene from Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honour the Blackfoot as the elders and the members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am the daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me, I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my Red Road journey. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area as well. And today we're going to be talking a bit more about domestic violence. So I also encourage folks to call um, Awotan Healing Lodge as it's Indigenous centered and they have a safe exit, which means that if you go on their website and you hit safe exit when you're done, there's no record that you were on their website. So you can feel safer being on that website accessing those numbers. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. I now have a YouTube channel and would love to have you subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for all the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Agent Indian, uh, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Thalia, Vanessa, and Veronica. 
Whew, that's a good mouthful. I sure appreciate every single one of you. So thank you again. Uh, and today I have my friend that we've, I don't know how long we've known each other, Selena, but I, I'm so that's grateful you're here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me, Michelle. I appreciate it. And thank you for everything you do as well. Mm -hmm. Honored. So when I, I talked to you, we were like, geez, what are all the topics we're going to talk about today? Because you have, I mean, we could be talking about transplants, we could be talking about immune systems, we could be talking about many things. And yes. I was really grateful you wanted to talk about domestic violence because, you know, today's um, October uh, 30th, which means next month already we start November. So and I'd love it, is, it is domestic violence month, so that's perfect. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, I'd love for you to introduce yourself in your way. So I'm Selena Taibo. Uh, I've been living in Calgary for um, probably 24 years now. Um, I'm originally, um, my dad is Mexican. My mom is, uh, she's Cree. Uh, I lived in mostly Ontario and Mexico. And uh, here I am. <laughs> I have uh, three beautiful children. And uh, yeah, just trying to make it work through this terrible pandemic yeah that is it's definitely its own conversation too isn't it uh, what a mess yeah yeah it is i uh i know you talk a lot about immune compromised um people and i think that this pandemic has been really hard and then add that intergenerational trauma of you know pandemics used as a biological weapon against our people absolutely um, yeah, so I think that there's, a, you know, that bigger picture when we talk about immune systems, like I, I try to remind people that they purposely eliminated our food source and our way of life, which yeah. is a huge impact on our immune systems Absolutely. intergenerationally, let alone yeah. Indian residential school and the experiments they did on our bodies while we were there. So yeah, yeah now we have like this intergenerational immune system issue. Yeah. And the, the diseases that I have are mostly prone in uh, Indigenous women. Uh, I have a doctor, a doctor who dedicates his time to clinical trials solely to Indigenous women, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I just found that out last month. So, yeah. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I didn't either. I just uh, I just met him last month, and uh, he was going to do a clinical trial on me, and it's solely for uh, Indigenous women. Huh. As um, the disease, one of the disease I have is called primary biliary cholangitis, and um, after transplant, it seems to come back ten times harder on Indigenous women. So yeah, it's very strange. That's awful. Um, yeah. There's a fellow named Ian Mosby, I think is his name, and he was doing some work on how what they did to us in Indian residential school affecting our immune system. And I think he was more specific about diabetes, but um, obviously just immune system issues in general on Indigenous yeah. people. And then the complication of, uh, you know, being an Indigenous woman. And the, and the stress, right? The stress that we go through all the time, the, like you said, uh, the trauma never goes away and it's the the worst thing for our immune system so yeah it's just it's just a really bad constant roller coaster so 
Um, I know that you wanted to talk a bit about domestic violence and how that affects your immune system. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a very uh, alcoholic family. Uh, my mom has a million brothers and sisters and cousins, and we were just a really big family. And um, I got the most of it. My My brothers were pretty young, and I was constantly babysitting them. And uh, my parents were never home when they were. There was a lot of violence towards me. So as soon as I was old enough, um, I packed up, moved. I had uh, a young daughter with me. She was only uh, two years old when I moved here. And I just, I just really wanted to make a life for myself away from all the trauma. And I really thought, you know what, if I just get away from it, I'm strong enough, I can do this. It's not going to be in my face every day. And, you know, I can do this. But um, when I moved to Calgary, I was, I was very lonely. Um, single mom, you know, you're, you're concentrating on, I had nothing. I, I didn't even have forks and knives. I, I was starting from scratch. So it, it was a stressful time. And I found myself very, very lonely. And uh, after being here for about seven months, I, I met a man. And I fell for him so quick. I look back and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, what was my problem? But I quickly realized that he was so much like my mom that a part of me felt at home without even realizing it. Because no matter what you go through, you always love your parents. And I was homesick. And with him, I felt right back at home. But it was so toxic that 14 years went by before I even made the connection. And by then it was, you know, two kids later. And 14 years is a long time, right? So, and now I'm picking up exactly where I left off. And I'm just like, I wasted so much time. So... I know. I don't know why we have to learn these lessons, hey? <laughs> Especially, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just made the collect the connection way, way too late. But um, yeah, this is, was such a violent, violent relationship. Um, when I met my lawyer, um, she started reading all the police report and she said, in all my years of practice, I never seen a woman with your stories and the police report to back it up to have lived through it. So I find myself very fortunate. Um, and the funny thing is, Michelle, when I moved here, my health was getting better. Like I've always been sick um, as far as I remember. Uh, I've always had issues with my immune system and really crazy things that would come up, infection, the doctors could never pinpoint what it was. I wasn't diagnosed until probably uh, 10 years ago. Oh, wow. But, um, but as soon as I met this guy, it's just my immune system just went haywire because he was putting so much stress on me. Um, and then it just came to the point where I didn't want to be that woman that had different baby daddies. You know, I was embarrassed. I, I just pretended everything was okay. Um, 
it started off like I had a few friends and then the next thing I knew he had me isolated to I knew nobody Mm. the only people that I really knew were members of his family and I thought if I leave him I'm I'm back alone again Mm. so yeah and um back then when I it was at the worst and the police would show up it wasn't like it was today um I remember the police the Calgary police coming over to my house and um I had called them and they were like oh you called us and he was right there and I was like no I didn't like because I knew what was gonna happen and they were like oh of course you called us and why won't you tell us what's going on and I was like if they could have just removed him from the house for two minutes I could have spoken my truth and then one cop got mad at me and he was like oh are you protecting him because he's your pimp and I was like eventually I just um stopped calling them um the worst incident that ever happened was um him and I went out one night and he got mad at me because uh we were at uh, a dance party and a guy asked me to go dance with him while he was in the washroom and he got out and instead of taking it out on the guy he took it out on me because that's what women beater do and he pulled me out of the club by my hair. He stabbed me in the thigh. Uh, he drove, I was driving my car. While I was driving, he was punching me in the head, pulling my hair. When we got to the house, um, I had fake nails on. He ripped two of them out, which was probably one of the most excruciating pain. And then he dragged me in the house and he was on my bed choking me. And I couldn't breathe and I, I would black out and I would come through and he was on top of me, blowing air into my, into my mouth, giving me the highlight maneuver to make sure that I would come through. And then he would choke me again until I would pass out. I was lucky enough that the babysitter called the police. The police came, there was like seven of them. They broke my door down. They had the guns drawn on him. Uh, they had to call an ambulance for me. My, like I, my neck was just, and I had, you know, blacked out like seven times of him choking me, bringing me back, choking me. And um, he had knocked out my tooth. And then the next thing I know, I was done. I was going to leave him. Everything was good. You know, I, I, I was strong enough. They arrested him. He went to jail. He came out pretty quick because he had a job and they didn't want him to um, uh, stop paying his child support because he had two other children. And the next thing you know, social services is at my friggin' daughter's school questioning her. She had no idea what had happened. And the guy was like, did you know your mom almost died the other day? She didn't have any idea what was happening. And then um, they called me at the school and they said that um, if, if he came around, they would take my daughter away. And they had me in such a panic because it happened to me when I was young. Um, I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I called the police, I got him kicked out of the house, I got him removed, I charged him, and then they did this with my daughter. 
You're native, uh, though, Selena. <laughs> I know, but you know, Michelle, like I'm a mama bear. Don't mess with my kids. And that just threw me for a loop. And I just couldn't deal with it. I, it, it was just like, I quit my job just to be with my daughter every day. I drove her to school. I sat down there making sure nobody was walking in and walking out of the school with her. And I was treated so badly by social services. They didn't care that I was being abused. They just thought you need to leave him. Okay, that's cool. He knows where I live. You guys going to help me with that? And it was just, I, I told myself from that day on, if this man ever walks back into my life, I will never call the cops ever. Never. And I never did again until the very last incident. But uh, it wasn't me who called the cops. But by that time, it was in 2012. And I think Calgary police were a little bit more up to date with, you know, domestic violence and what was happening to women. And they took it a little bit more seriously. And uh, home front was now a thing and they they helped me a whole lot so that's good but yeah it was just they traumatized me after re-traumatizing me and re-traumatizing me again oh 100 percent. that's what they do that's what these systems do on yeah. my podcast I talk about that uh, when I ran for um, municipal politics you know, I have a list of the reports that were done every single year that were never implemented on child welfare reform. And, um, you know, the average Canadian doesn't know. And they actually are, it's worse, they assume that they're helpful when they're actually some of the most awful organizations that can come after you and your children at any like moment's notice. And yeah. as Indigenous people under the Indian Act, we don't have protections that regular Canadians do. And not, I'm not insinuating regular Canadians are protected when it comes to child welfare. We wouldn't have, you know, report after report after report to make these changes if they were good for all Canadians. Mm. And uh, that's the irony. So yeah. I, um, I am the last person that would, you know, uh, think that child welfare is a positive thing for a family. And you know, like the, the last time I had called child welfare, literally it was because I felt that this child's life was in actual danger by um, the mother. And, uh, you know, it, <laughs> that's like, it, it had, has to be that bad in order for me to call because it, it's just, I know um, my family alone has been uh, directly impacted by child services as well. So uh, in a negative way and, you know, generally. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure every Indigenous person has gone through that. Right? Yeah, and I try to tell Canadians that. They don't get it. No, they don't. They're like, oh, just leave. Call the police. Do this, do that. Like, I felt so judged. And honestly, in my entire life, I feel like the only thing that I've done good is being a mom. And because I've changed everything. Like, yes, I, 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 I was wrong to be in in a domestic violence situation. I was also, I, I did what I have to do, but th honestly, they, they pushed me back there because as soon as he was out of jail, he was calling me, he was at my house, he was stalking my work, and it just became easier to be with him because I wasn't gonna call the police again because they were want, talking about taking my daughter away, even though I was doing everything I was supposed to do. Yeah. So forget that. 
there's a, a good book called Jawbreaker, and it actually talks about the first shelter that they had here in Calgary. And part of it is a huge part of it is Calgary Police Service, like just totally mocking the concept in general. And yeah. that was at the time that my mom was being beaten by my father. Um, that was at the same time Pierre El Elliott Trudeau was joking about hitting his wife in the House of Parliament. Like that's on the on the record. So, um, you know, it was just so like socially uh, acceptable to be hitting women. And I mean, I would argue it is today, too. I, I don't think that uh, anyone has a leg to stand on when it comes to to denying that because our stats prove it <laughs> yeah. oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's it's tough being an indigenous woman and and avoiding violence and then avoiding police uh judgment and avoiding social services and then for the schools to be facilitating the children to be you know talked to by these social services it's just you know complex trauma because oh absolutely and and you know, like, you, you know, Eve, you've met her. Um, she's the one that had to deal with that. She was the one that had to sleep with me every night because she was scared of being taken away. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't drink. I didn't abuse her. I didn't, you know, I protected her as much as I can. She was, we were always together. I gave her all the opportunities that I possibly could. And for them to do that and for her to you know, oh, you're going to be taken away from your mom. Like it, it was just traumatizing all of, all around. My own daughter, um, after dealing with social services with uh, a cousin of mine, she just said that she hates uh, the system so much and she's pretty convinced. She's afraid of child welfare after what she witnessed, uh, what oh, happened absolutely. to my cousin. So I am, um, I hate to say it, but, you know, we've given them answers and solutions and recommendations and reports, but they just haven't implemented them. And until they do, they're just looked at as the evil pariah of society. Well, they don't, they, they don't care, really. I, nope. I can't see them caring for carrying on like this. I was listening to um, Loa Bibi on Windspeaker this morning, and she had um, Carrie Gladue on. And he has a book about second chances, and he uh, talked about his alcoholism. He outright said it. He said um, when he was apprehended because of the stupid 60s scoop to eliminate us from our people and our culture, he um, ended up being sexually abused by a social worker. And I mean, how many times does Canada need to hear over and over and over that we've been sexually abused by the RCMP, by the police, by the social services, by priests, by nuns, before there's ever accountability. And there never will be because they see us as lesser. No. So no. It, it's just so frustrating. And last night we had Sonny Campbell, or sorry, uh, Sonny uh, Crazy Bull's um, uh, vigil because he was killed by the police on Friday. So, like, we can't get away from it. Or, I know. You know, and I feel bad. I like the, I, I'm missing all. I'm missing out on all these. You know, I, I, I wanted to go to my friend Alexis' funeral. Like, I want to be out there, but unfortunately, with this pandemic, like, I think since March till about a month ago, I'm out of the hospital for a week. I'm back in for two weeks with some crazy infection. Back in for another week. Back out for two weeks. Back in like. I just, I can't take the risk, right? So I feel 100%. isolated, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta do what I gotta do. 
that's the great thing about these Zooms. So even though we're recording for a podcast, like you and I can meet for a Zoom coffee anytime and oh, just thank you. have like a 10 minute one because I don't want you to feel that way. But I also respect your boundaries. I mean, you know, we've been doing a lot of Black Lives Matter protests. We had our vigil last night. Um, but I totally respect and understand that not everybody can participate in these because like, we have we have intergenerational trauma from you know, biological warfare per per perpetrated against us by Canada, by mm -hmm. the U.S., you know, like, that's, that's our reality. So, yeah. and you are legitimately, um, and, and so our viewers have no idea who you are, or any of the immune um, issues that you've encountered. And I know uh, transplant is a, a huge issue for, for you as well. So, do you maybe want to explain to our, our folks that are listening and have never heard from you or, or about you about some of your um, journeys when it comes to uh, the immune system and why this is so relevant, why you're in and out of the hospital. Yeah, so I have lupus and I have a, a rare disease called primary biliary cholangitis. So it's my immune system attacking the bile ducts of my liver and it does that till my liver, the bile leaks back into my liver until my liver is completely cirrhosis. So in 2012, um, I was actually in the hospital. They had given me a month to live. Um, and I ended up getting the call for the transplant. I had my transplant. Everything went well. I ended up donating um, the small lobe of the liver to a child. So two people with the same liver were saved that night. And then uh, now I'm taking immunosuppressed medication for the rest of my life, plus some lupus medication. Lupus attacks all kinds of different parts of my body. Um, last month, it decided to attack my colon. So um, when that happens, my immunosuppressed goes higher. So leaving me very vulnerable with basically no immune system to fight anything off. So that takes care of the immunosuppressive uh, diseases, but then it leaves room for everything else. So, you know, my, my daughter's friend kissed me on the cheek two weeks ago and I broke out into this really horrific rash because I just, there was something on her lips that <laughs> my cheeks didn't like. So, you know, just, I couldn't imagine trying to fight like COVID on top of that, right? So uh, if I was to have something as serious as COVID, they would have to take me off my immune suppressive medication. That would mean my immune system would find my new liver and start attacking the new liver. So that would leave me in an extremely bad situation, extremely bad situation. And my liver journey was, waiting for a liver was so long. I, I was... um six years, extremely, extremely sick, um, doing, uh, for three years of those seven years, I did, uh, every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays religiously for three long years. I did this treatment called plasma apheresis exchange. Um, I did chemotherapy to try to lower my immune system. Um, I had tubes coming out of my neck, the central line, which my ex ended up ripping out. Um, so it was, it was an extremely long, long journey. 
waiting for that liver. So when it became available, um, is it, I think it's the day I gave up. Um, I had snuck out of the hospital because it was my daughter's birthday. She was turning four. And I was a single mom by then. And I parked in my garage and I closed the garage door and I let the car run. And I was like, I'm really done with this. I just don't want... I just didn't want to do it anymore. I couldn't. I I had just become a single mom three months earlier. Just all the violence. And my mom was at the house watching the kids and drinking away. And I just, I didn't have a choice. And I didn't know anybody here. So I was done. And then I just looked at my kids. I could see them in the window. And they were just playing. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? So I talked to my grandma and I was like, damn, if you're here, like, please, like, reach out to me because I can't do this anymore. And I got the call that night <laughs> for my liver. So I was like, wow. So, yeah, I got the liver, like, after talking to my grandma and I got the call, like, six hours later and I had my transplant that day. So... That's yeah, so our, cool. our our ancestors are very powerful. <laughs> wow. Wow, it that's like thank you for sharing that. I know that's really hard to relive and I I don't underestimate how hard that is. So no tonight later later today if you need anything, don't hesitate and I'll come over with my mask on and you know, <laughs> thank if you, you need to smudge, we can just chill and whatever <laughs> you need to do. I want to hug you and give you all that love, but I know I can't. <laughs> Yeah, no, they were they were tough times, but um, I'm at a good place now. Um, I've 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 done a lot more, like with who I am and learning more about, you know, because my dad being Mexican, like there's a lot of indigenous roots there too. So I'm I'm learning. I'm embracing that part of me because before I was just so embarrassed to be indigenous <laughs> I was just like nope I'm not I might look but I'm not you know like no no creep just, just kidding <laughs> I just I just got the good cheeks you know just <laughs> <laughs> but you know I understand that because I don't know if you know but I it was funny because my dad is white um I used to always say well I'm part native and people would be like well what does that mean well my mom's native well that makes you native I'm like well I guess well, you have a status card. And I'm like, well, yeah. So like, I know what it's like to be ashamed of who you yeah. are. Um, I mean, we grew up in a society that was like the media propaganda, the Canadian government. I mean, there wasn't a level of anything, the police, you know, even the medical community, like they're racist. <laughs> so it's hard to have pride about who you are when you have so many uh, institutions telling you you're somehow inferior when that's not exactly the case at all it's they just want to steal your land and it's a lot easier to tell you you're lesser than than it is to take responsibility and have reparations for the damage that they've caused well when i was about 17 um the police came to my parents house because my dad was reporting something stolen. I think they were tools or something like that. And the police officer was married. 
he had three children and he took a liking into me. And this cop started stalking me, Michelle. Um, we had a quarry, I think that's what you call them, mm-hmm. uh, that we used to meet up and we, we all used to go swimming in there. And it was in the middle of nowhere. And of course, back then, nobody had phones, right? So I was meeting my friends there and I was the first one there. And this creep followed me there. And he had me at the quarry and like he was just trying to kiss me and trying to fill me up. And like he was so positive that I I wouldn't say anything and I wouldn't do anything. And I was just lucky that my friends showed up when they did because he probably would have, you know. Yeah, I know. Cops. I don't even. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he just wasn't leaving me alone. He would pull me over when I was doing the speed limit and he'd come to my window and he was like, oh, it's you. I didn't realize it was your car. And he was like, oh, follow me. We'll go for a coffee. Or he was just so married, you know, it it was just, yeah, just really weird things like that. Yeah, no, I had a friend and his dad was a firefighter. He said the same thing that they were like that too. So I just took him for his word and, and just thought, well, I hope I don't marry a cop or a firefighter. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and what's funny is I had an old boyfriend that did become a firefighter, actually. Oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> he totally did. So, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. no, I, um, I, I don't uh, understand how these folks who, you know, have pushed their language, pushed their culture on us, pushed this Christian doctrine on us, and they they do all of this awful stuff all the time. And I don't understand how people respect them. I just don't get it. No. Well, it's like, you know, my daughter, my, like both my kids are, are black mixed. And my daughter went to Prairie Winds Park um, in the summertime. And I guess they were, there was a, a church group there and uh, they were giving out food and I picked up my daughter later on that day and she said, I want to start going to church. And I was like, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, why? Like, and she was trying to explain to me it, it, in the end, it had nothing to do with, um, the religion. I think it was just cause, um, they were all mixed of Jamaican and Africans. And I think she felt very welcome there. So I'm like, well, we'll see. Well, you just did a lot of talking that night about religion because it's, yeah, it's not my thing. No, well, that's a, a conversation to unpack because even, uh, so Sonny Crazy Bull, his family is really, really Christian and they had a black uh, pastor doing, uh, you know, prayer. And then there was a, a young woman and she sang Amazing Grace. And, um, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, colonization had happened in Africa and then you have all of these, like, you know, Christians that come here and still perpetrate the, this uh, religion on our people. And they don't understand colonialism because they're so deep into their religion. They don't even get it. So it, it sucks because it's like, dude, you are like totally treated like a second class citizen, totally based off of your um, skin color here in Canada. And yet here you are doing their work for them and still trying yeah. to colonize the uh, the people into Christianity. And it, it's so frustrating because like, uh, 
yeah, I'm sure you know, did you see that guy that was on uh, Memorial in 36? And he had like a, uh, a Bible in one hand and he was oh, like Jesus, jumping joy Jesus and saves me saved me or something like that you know and and the cops were being called on him because he was black you know that but that bigger picture that god forbid somebody is you know happy while being black in in our area <laughs> no nope, that's not gonna happen so uh, but then he did have a safety vest on at one point in time so i'm sure the cops tried to tell him, tell him. at least just wear a, a safety vest <laughs> Well, <laughs> so I got a kick out of that. And I was like, I wonder if I should sit down and try to talk to him about, you know, Indian residential school. But, you know, I just know, I know I how the center of newcomers and the, well, especially that uh, CCIS, because they're a Catholic based immigration um, service, right? Like, so they push that. I, I remember going to one of their service, or um, presentations. They had on there. Um, the Syrian refugees that were coming here and they purposely said that they brought in 50% Christians. It's a 90% Muslim country, but they brought in mainly Christians because that's their doctrine and they denied that. They were like, oh, well, Christians are more persecuted over there. And while that is indeed true, you know, by bringing in a bunch of Christians, that helps perpetuate that Christian, you know, Western uh, British whole construct imposed on our people so I was just like so annoyed with that well I had a relative of my ex um, we've always celebrated uh, Dias de la Mortes uh, the day of the dead it's a day dedicated to our ancestors it's actually a two-day celebration and uh, I'm big on that it's my favorite celebration and I had uh, an aunt of my ex telling me that the reason that I'm sick is because I'm doing that because it's evil because I should be putting my energy into Jesus some white guy from the Middle East who supposedly saved my life so that's why I was sick that's why I had all this bad luck happen to me because I didn't know who Jesus was my son's real name is Jesus, so I know who Jesus is. <laughs> so, oh, wow, that is something to digest, that's for sure. But you know, like again, because of that, what they've taught my own family, I mean, they don't smudge. And last night, like, smudge was not welcome, or uh, drumming or tobacco, like, that was not welcome at that vigil. And I'm like, I'm gonna obviously meet the family where they're at and respect their protocols. Yeah, you don't have but um, man, it's it's just another example of how colonialism hits our people and, you know, try to guilt trip you into that rather than acknowledging what this so-called Christian religious did to all the Cree. <laughs> you know, like they don't know that. The, you know, folks that are newer here, they don't have any concept of that. And even folks that have been here for generations are apparently are so ignorant to the reality and then have the audacity to say that was, you know, far in the past. And it's like, no, like it's my own. Still, it's still happening today. Yeah, if like, you look at social services, I mean, it's, it's not residential school, but is it? Like, it is totally. Yeah. Yeah. We and have you know, one of the volumes of the TRC and it like, the whole thing is developed on the fact that Indian residential schools um, developed the social services that apprehend children today. 
like that yeah. like there's a whole volume in the trc series on that alone and yeah. yet canadians are so like hey timmy's and who's playing hockey <laughs> exactly and you know they just they they unfortunately they all have the same outlook on us though like you know when i when i got sick with my liver disease sorry i'm just gonna plug in my phone real quick um when i got sick with my with my liver disease um the fact that it was my liver i had nurses telling me to quit drinking um you know my doctors were good about it thank goodness because I don't know how I would have managed to trust my health to a doctor who thought I was drinking, but, uh, and not that I, I know disease, um, drinking is a disease in its own, but it wasn't my disease. You know what I mean? Um, so I worked so hard not to, not to drink and not, not to be that way because if, if, if I was a drinker, I know myself, I open a bottle of wine I will not stop until that bottle is done. Mm. And then I will want another bottle. And then I will want, I know who I am. So I don't drink for that reason. And I never drank because, you know, I had my daughter kind of young and I just wanted to give her that better life. So for me to work hard, not to be that way and to break that trauma right where it was to give my daughter a better life and to be accused of being an alcoholic and doing this to myself was a slap in the face. I know, but they, they're so dumb. They don't know nothing. And I, it's so frustrating because like, even for me before the COVID thing happened, um, I got really, really sick. I remember. Yeah. And they, they even accused me of smoking and I'm like, I literally have never smoked cigarettes in my entire life. I was that kid that grew up and, you know, Uh, Dina Henshaw and I went to the same school and got the same education where we were taught, you know, you don't smoke because if you do, then your, you know, your lungs are bad and all of those things. So I never started smoking. And then then my own doctor accused me of that. And then COVID happened. So I'm like, well, now I can't even go find another doctor because right now everything is falling apart. I feel like in the medical community. So if they could just get some anti-racism training for their you know, nurses and doctors so that they quit accusing us of drinking. And I have heart issues. And um, like I've just told my family, I've already accepted the fact that when I have a stroke or a heart attack, they will assume I am a drunk. They will just assume that. They just, there's no way around that. So it sucks because I just know that's what to expect of my stupid healthcare system. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, they just haven't accepted that racism is a huge part of the factors with COVID. And well, that, you know what, in order to accept it, that would mean making changes. Yeah, Everybody's it, comfortable where they are at, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's totally true. So They think to themselves, Oh, why change something if it's not broken? Well, it's not broken for them, but it's broken for us. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel bad because you know what, Michelle, even my daughter, she broke my heart the other day. She's, she's a sweetheart. Don't get me wrong. I love her to pieces. But the other day, um, she's very into her black culture. Um, most of her friends are, you know, they're black kids. And she just, I think she feels more comfortable in that area. Yep. And the other day, she's like, can you not tell my friends that you're half 
indigenous and half Mexican, just, just, just bring up the Spanish, not the other part. Oh. And I'm like, I'm so proud of myself. Like, why? And she's like, oh, never mind. Like, she didn't really, she did. I think she realized she hurt my feelings and she didn't want to say it. And I'm like, that'd be me like telling you you're just Spanish and leave the, the, the Jamaican part out. Like, just love all of me. And she's like, well, I do. I just don't want my friends to know I go to smudges and I do this. And, I, and I'm like, not smudges. I mean, uh, uh, sweat lodge. And I'm like, but why? Like, she's like, I don't know. I'm like, we'll have to talk about it later when I'm in a better place. Cause I was kind of hurt. And my first reaction was to bark. So. Well, and, it sucks because she has to deal with internalized hate when it comes to being black and coming to be indigenous. Yeah. And the fact that she was more proud of you being Mexican, despite all of the negative propaganda against Mexicans. Like, right. Oh, right. Girl. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I think I need to spend some time with her. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's, she's a loving girl. I mean, yes. after the domestic violence, I was like, I need to put them into counseling right now. They've done like three years of nonstop counseling. Um, Cause I, I said to myself, God forbid she picks a man like, like her dad, like I, I'm going to be in jail and I just can't have her go through that. And then I didn't want my son to grow up to be a little thug, you know? So I've had them in counseling like for three long years and I think they're at a good place now. Like, they're pretty loving kids and uh I think they're the sweetest kids I've ever met like I remember my girl and your kids playing together. oh yeah they had such a blast yeah like, seriously they had belly aches the next day from laughing <laughs> so hard so you know yeah. like they're they're great kids and I hate that uh you know the society teaches them that they're somehow lesser mm -hmm. and they'll have barriers just solely based off of their background here um, no, absolutely. I, I, I always kind of think, I'm just going to move to Germany and then get my free education there. And everybody's like, don't move to Germany. There's Nazis there. I'm like, there's Nazis here. I don't Everywhere. know. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to see uh, Jason and Bonnie Divine here and, uh, you know, have the Nazi conversation with them too, because they understand. Oh well, yeah, they're unfortunately they really understand. <laughs> they're just amazing people though. I see them everywhere. One day I think I saw him like three times in the same week. He's like, We must live close by. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we all do. We all do. Yeah. Without giving location of where we all are. Yeah, yeah. oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do all live pretty close together. So yeah. it, when COVID ends, or at least if we can figure out a way to be safer, like uh like we have a backyard and uh, a small little pit and I have to do a ceremonial burn of some tissues and, and ribbon here shortly. Um, and to, so tonight and tomorrow night, Sam's not going to be around. She has a sleepover. So probably get it done. Yeah. I hate party at your house. <laughs> right. Well, me and my big party, I'm like, yeah, let's have a ceremonial burn. <laughs> Such a nerd. <laughs> Well, it could be so much worse. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. No, I'm, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not that person. If I can get, 
you know, eight hours sleep, that's like a miracle. And everybody, oh, I, I'm like celebrating. Yeah, for real, though. <laughs> People just don't get that. Like, no. un uninterrupted sleep is the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's something I crave now. But the irony is having dogs, having um, my daughter, like we have, um, like that's, I'll wake up at like seven in the morning or be unable to sleep until three in the morning. And that's just reality. <laughs> that's the that's the singing dog remember oh yes <laughs> <laughs> you know sam told me because we got a little norton and he's a little chihuahua mix and uh she said the reason why she um wanted one was because of that i can't even remember what it was called but it was like a hollywood chihuahua movie and it had like uh what's his like gomez fellow he had a a really good show he's he's a comedian uh gomez i want to say gomez anyway really funny guy Inglesias, um, maybe no it, like it was a silly movie it was one of those silly disney movies okay where the chihuahuas are in like hollywood or whatever i think i kind of remember a little bit about it but yeah well i didn't realize it was so influential to her so <laughs> Yeah, and when when she came to my house, I had the two chihuahuas, and they sang for her. Remember? That's so so maybe, yeah. Well, we lost our Roxy. She's our beagle. She was the only singer we had in our family during yeah. the stupid COVID thing. So, and we just got her paw. Actually, the, the little uh, memorial paws that we got, we got that yesterday from them. So uh, I gotta. That's probably something else I'll do this weekend is figure out where to put that up so that it's like with her collar and stuff like that. So Oh, it's so tough losing a fur baby. Ugh. It's the worst. And it, like when you get them, they're so cute and little and you know you're going to watch them die in your hands and it's so no. crazy. And we just keep getting some. <laughs> just keep doing it right i actually I found know. out my people had their own type of dog of course the uh or rcmp eliminated them and killed them all but we had our own type of dog yeah not that a crazy story we have our own types of dogs in uh, mexico they're the hairless dogs oh yeah and uh i was gonna get one down but it was too expensive and it was silly because there's a lot of dogs that are need home here so yeah i'm just like I, I don't need to be that spoiled yeah i know um roxy was our only um purebred but it was backyard so i regret that after the fact and yeah. um yeah we just get rescues now so norton and mason were both rescues and uh yeah those are our babies yeah we love them so much <laughs> it's true so anyway thanks selena for being on my show i so appreciate it uh sorry for kind of shedding a tear i'm usually so much tougher the opposite i think it's a good part of our healing journey to yeah. uh, you know be open and honest and about that and you know again if you're unpacking it because we kind of talked about it don't hesitate to reach out to me tonight and we'll figure something out thank you um, yeah in a second yeah. I don't have my kids tonight either, so party at my house. Nobody knows where I live, but still, <laughs> I'll have a sleeping party. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. You and me both will be like, yeah, it's 8 o'clock. Let's go to bed. <laughs> <Woo -hoo!" laughs> well, right thank on. you very much for having me, Michelle. And, uh, yeah, keep up the good work. I mean, I, I, I don't watch as much as I should, but, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'm on a good trend now, so hopefully – I yeah. can get back to it. 
Well, and vice versa, like you have always done this good work about talking about domestic violence, talking about uh, different levels of racism. You've talked about immune system issues, liver transplant. Uh, you're always doing really great work. So I, that's part of the reason why I wanted you on here is because even though, um, you know, it's hard for us to kind of brag about what we do or what we don't do. And I just know that you've been one of those people that's been open to having that bigger conversation. And uh, especially with the Black Lives Matter changes, you know, like your kids being half indigenous and half, because like, I don't consider Mexican Mexican, I consider it indigenous. Right? I know, yeah. So, you know, for me, your kids are exactly like uh, Autumn Eagle Speaker, who, you know, talks about being half black and half um, indigenous. And, you know, walking three worlds really because you have your black roots you have your indigenous roots and then you have your um uh have to you know be forced to be in a white supremacist canadian american uh context so yeah. anyway 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 i'm gonna do my ending and it has a lot of like um you know suggestions for folks that are listening so I definitely invite you to kind of pop in as I as I'm talking and if you have something else to add like with uh, I don't know a transplant group because I talk a, not enough about folks with disabilities and and that issue as well. So if you have some things that you want to add as I'm talking don't hesitate to interrupt because I'd love to hear what you have to add. Well, um I'm going to tell you right now um the Canadian Liver Foundation the Calgary branch is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm more of a group for my typical disease because it's primary biliary cholangitis, but uh, the Canadian Liver Foundation in Calgary, I do all my voluntary work there and I try to connect people with uh, the same disease because there's like 101 liver disease out there. So I try to connect them, even alcoholism, not to be embarrassed and reach out because it is a disease and, you know, nobody deserves to die uh, waiting for a liver, you know. So yeah. if anybody out there has any kind of liver disease, whether it's self-inflicted or not, reach out to the Canadian Liver Foundation. I'm the one you're going to talk to and keep it private and send you in the right direction. Awesome. No, that's yeah. great work. I, I know you know that we do that work of um, sobriety. And um, to me, if we can help people walk that road in any way, we do it in a second. And, you know, for me doing Mending Broken Hearts, talking about intergenerational trauma and complex trauma, to me, that's like the root of the alcoholism in a lot of ways, or oh. addiction in general. So... My brother is a is full blown alcoholic. He's got uh, alcohol fetus syndrome. He's thirty three, thirty four. Um, I really hope that he reaches the point where he will accept the help because he's not going to be here for another year if he continues down this road. So, and nobody nobody deserves to die because they've been traumatized. Yeah, I know. I I I feel you, my friend, and I'm sorry to hear that your brother's you know traveling that road right now and well yeah we can all pray for him at least all the indigenous thank you people that i appreciate that yes yeah. absolutely his I'm name sure is jeremy non-indigenous people who pray to their gods and i hope they pray for for your brother too because thank I, you you know i want him to I, I want all indigenous to live a happy and peaceful and thrive like thrive happily mm. thrive in this world because we all deserve to we and do. i know for me like i'm 
I'm so proud that my family survived what they survived in order for me to be here today. And I want to live that legacy and, you know, let my girl try to live a happy life in the whole. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, at this point it's about our kids and, and, you know, that better life. And if we can make one change to one person, it's worth the life. It is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Selena. Okay, I'm going to do my ending and don't hesitate to pop in. Okay. Uh, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. There are multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports organizations. A really great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. I highly recommend you read that. Um, I wanna continue putting cultural safety into action so you can create a safer place for uh, BIMPOC or you know, Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Look at it as first aid for marginalization. You have to do something. Having good intentions isn't working anymore. That's not enough. You have to take action to make change. You have to speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system so that you can help advocate for culturally safe approaches. You have to take responsibility for your own learning. You have to read, reflect, ask questions. Don't always expect this to come from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your assumptions, your biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. And commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to credit heretohelp.bc.ca uh, what is Indigenous cultural safety and why you should care about it for those resources and encourage folks to print that off and, you know, learn that and have that become a part of your daily mantra. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands by the Indian Act, Indian residential schools and other land clearing policies and perpetrated by the media. Um, Donna Bevins has an organization called racialequitytools.org and it talks a lot about internalized racism and I encourage people who aren't white to really unpack that so if you're a person like me who's like oh yeah I'm part white or I'm part native 
you need to learn what internalized racism is so that that way you can be proud about who you are and not ever be ashamed for who you are. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. They have a bunch of do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. So if you are on the C train or you're on, you're somewhere and you're actually witnessing a public instance of racism, uh, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-indigenous or other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, I recommend these tips on how to intervene while considering the safety of everyone involved. Do make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if they want support. Move yourself to the person being harassed if possible and you feel at risk of doing so, or if you feel you can do so without risk, create that distance and barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so, the person being harassed consents, film or record the incident. It's a lot easier to delete it than wish you had it. And I think um, now would be a good time to bring up the fact that uh, right now, like internationally, we are, we, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, is being slammed with this Calgary police officer that took a young, well, 26 year old black girl. And I don't know what the hell. Can, he can I say something about that? Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, my friend, she has a daughter who's uh, 24. 25 sorry and that girl is her daughter's friend I had a talk with her daughter's friend today and she said she knew her so I said do you know what happened did her hand come out of the handcuff because that's what everybody was saying on the comments and she said no she told him to stop touching her headband and if she wanted if he wanted her to remove it to uncuff her and she would do it I hate oh, the way people can actually try to justify that. Oh, in any absolutely. Capacity. It doesn't matter if her hand came loose. She was like four foot nothing and, and, and a girl. Like, come on. But even like the justification that they were saying is even a lie. I just like I asked the girl today. I was like, not that it matters, but what happened? Like, and she said she got. She was telling him, don't touch me, don't touch me. If you want me to take it off, take my handcuffs off, I'll take it off. And he just slammed her because he got tired of arguing with her. So He's such a fucking dick. Oh, fuck, yeah. I hate that man so much. I, yeah. I don't know him personally, but the fact that he felt so empowered to do that and bust her face like that, and like what kind of severe concussion did that fucking cause? What a, what a prick. And, and he's just... Rightfully He's so. just standing there with his arms crossed like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Just so gross. And you know, and the worst part is, is that all he knew he would be protected by the people around him. Those pricks. Like, I just, ugh, so gross that people actually trust these guys. It is gross. Well, and, even the, the, the police officers that showed up at my house that one time and uh, asked me if... Um, I was protecting him because he was my pimp. I was like, fuck you. And he's like, well, fuck you too. And then he's like, um, give me your, give me your ID. And I'm like, they're in my purse. And he's like, I'm not going in there. I don't know who you are. Like calling me a hoe. Right. So he's like, uh, show me your ID, get them out of your purse. So I, I was really mad at that point And I threw uh, my, yeah. face. 
Yeah. So I threw my purse at him and he let my purse hit him on the chest. And he's like, huh, cute. Now you're going to jail for assault to a police officer. And he started roughing me up. And the other police officers were like trying to tell him to calm down without really doing anything at all. You're lucky you didn't get fucking murdered by those motherfuckers that night, frankly. Well, I went I- to jail for the night, so over over a domestic violence, and they didn't know how to handle it, asking me in front of him, why did you call us? Why are you protecting him? So, yep. Shocking. I'm so shocked. Yeah. And good thing I'm sitting for this shockness. Look at my shocked face. <laughs> You know yeah, what so, I look like on my phone whenever I read this stuff, right? Like, oh, look at me, so shocked. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is why we don't call them cuz yeah. forget it. You take our kids away and then you take us to jail and we just got beat up on top of it. So, you know, I totally forgot you probably even knew who this young girl is or somebody of somebody and I just yeah. totally forgot. So, thank you for yeah. bringing that up because Yeah. Like, we're getting yes. slammed internationally, and rightfully so, oh, this type of police violence. And, you know, like, yeah. somebody said something about, you know, we're considered saints. And it's like, why? Because we're better at covering up the, the violence? Like, you know our friend Deb Green, she, her sister is one of the Starlight Tours here in Calgary. And th- so they have, a, you know, a rock to commemorate her. I was at the, the MMIW inquiry report actually paid for that rock. And it's in front of the Great Eagle uh, Casino. It's beautiful. It looks like a bench. And um, the former chief, uh, Lee Crowchild, he, when they were doing the ring road, he kept some of those old um, grandfather rocks. And that was one of them he kept so that he could uh, give that to them to help, you know, create this memorial. It's beautiful. I'd but, like to look. But why did she, she did not have to die. No. She died because of the Calgary police. Well, but, My cousin was murdered in Ottawa. She was eight months pregnant. Uh, She was living with a small town uh, drug dealer. And she was was 100% clean. She didn't drink, she didn't. She just wanted to get away from home and she just picked the guy that, you know, could give her a life and she got pregnant and him, him and her both got shot. She got shot in the back of the head trying to get under her bed, but her be- belly was too big, so she couldn't fit under the bed. They shot her eight and a half months pregnant. The papers, the fucking newspapers, drug dealer and his girlfriend. Drug dealers, like, they, they, they took her image and just totally, like, she didn't matter whatsoever she did not matter her her baby's life didn't matter she was just like it didn't matter so yeah it just nobody cares really i know (laughs) it drives me crazy (laughs) like that drives me crazy yeah we we are so like this is why we have to support each other and love each other because they don't care nobody else will yeah. yeah. And a lot of people, and I was telling this, Autumn was uh, my last guest, and I, I said to her, you'd be shocked at how many people have never heard two Indigenous women speak ever. So that's the whole reason why people listen to me sometimes, which is shocking to me. Like, I can't stand myself, frankly, but. 
you're pretty wonderful. <laughs> but it's that bigger picture. At least, you know, you and I can have uh, a coffee and chat and, you know, people can see what it's like to actually be Indigenous. Because I tried to tell my former employer and when I ran, like, you don't understand how dangerous it is to be a woman in the city. And then people just totally scoffed it. Now look at it. Like, you know, I, I don't know what to say. But I, if you ever talk to your friend about that uh, young woman, and she was 26. It's not like she's a baby, baby. She's a baby when you're 43 anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, like, I, I, I wish I, I wish we had better accountability and I hate that she had to go through that trauma. And I, from well, the you know heart, what, I'll, I'll give my girlfriend's daughter your information. Mm. Maybe you could even have her on your show one day. Like, I don't know this girl. I just know of her her friend yeah her no i'd love to have her on i think i think the entire world would love to have her on and um i should just say this came up this video of her being assaulted by the police came out because he's on trial so when the trial is over if she wants to be on my show like i have her on tonight (laughs) but but probably you know she's going through the trauma of the court system reliving how shitty that system is so that's its own uh, you know adding to your complex trauma of any any system that we have so i just i pray for her oh absolutely well when i found out my that girl told me oh yeah i know her i was like oh my god and you know you're reading the comments and it's like oh well if you if you don't want to do the time don't do the crime blah 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 what are you talking about like since when were you perfect and what well, and literally, you called the police for help, and then they fucking arrest you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, yeah. I've had it happen, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you it's know okay. what? I, my, uh, so my people are the hair people, right? And my, my cousin was down here from Yellowknife, and uh, we were driving around, and um, I told her when, because there was a bunch of white rabbits that came out, and I laughed, and I said, in my podcast, I always finish by saying, uh, uh, I give side eye to all those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And she goes, <laughs> Where you'd be in my dish. <laughs> so that's that. So anyway, thanks for being on my show, Selena. You're welcome, Michelle. And I'll keep in touch with the, the girl thing. Awesome. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> okay. Talk to you later. Bye.